I thank God for all who have led us in worship today for the amazing anthem or the confession of faith publicly from our friend Charlie, for all those who have read and prayed. It's a blessing to be in worship with you in person and online and a blessing to continue a sermon series called Crosswise. We're talking about the death of Christ and what it means. And today we're looking at a passage that you'll come across if you're following our New Testament challenge reading schedule this week. Mark 15, 33 through 39. I will read from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my sermon is Solidarity on the Cross. The God who suffers with us. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word and help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John of the Cross was a 16th century Spanish priest who sought purity of prayer and authentic connection to God. When he observed among Christians a blind obedience to institutionalized ritual, he set out to reform the church. Over time, his earnest efforts at reform drew the ire of traditionalist leaders, and one night in December of 1577, John was taken prisoner. According to author Mirabai Starr, he was imprisoned in a tiny, dark closet that had previously served as a toilet. He was brought out only to be flogged in the center of the dining commons while the monks ate their dinner. As John suffered isolation, near starvation, and physical torment, he felt his connection with God fade. Eventually, however, he managed to escape, and thereafter he experienced a state of spiritual ecstasy. In retrospect, John authored 
a profound treatise entitled Dark Night of the Soul. This classic work of Christian mysticism describes the dark night of the soul as a time when the soul cannot perceive God, a time when the believer feels abandoned. According to John, the dark night feels bitter and devastating because the believer has been walking with God in genuine faith, feeling the favor of God shining down like the sun, when suddenly the light is totally darkened and the door is slammed shut and the believer does not know which way to turn. Christians of various times and places have experienced dark nights of the soul. The dark night occurs when we suffer hardship, pain, grief, or adversity, and we feel forsaken. Our soul feels empty, like a spilled cup lying on the ground. Our prayers feel pointless, like a conversation with a brick wall. Our worship feels dry, like a wilted lily. And our relationship with God feels distant, like a once dear friend we have somehow lost touch with. Even the most spiritually advanced believers encounter arid stretches in their spiritual journey. John of the Cross writes, the deep suffering of the soul comes not so much from the aridity she must endure, but from the growing suspicion that she has lost her way. She thinks that all spiritual blessing is over and that God has abandoned her. Have you ever felt like that? Disoriented? Desolate? As if God has abandoned you? Have you ever faced such immense difficulty externally and such intense darkness internally that you felt forsaken, alone, and rejected? If so, you are in good company. Not only have countless saints of the church experienced similar feelings, but Jesus himself cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taken from the first verse of Psalm 22, this cry expresses the prayerful agony of the Savior beneath the heavy darkness that fell over the land at midday. This cry expresses deep anguish as he is surrounded by the insults of mockers, crowned with thorns of ridicule, suspended on a cruel cross, naked and wounded, publicly shamed and utterly alone. Jesus, the holiest person ever to walk the earth, had been flogged, beaten, insulted, spat upon, scorned, stripped, and publicly disgraced. He felt the full measure of suffering, abandonment, and isolation. Never 
has there been a darker night of the soul than when darkness fell over Christ at midday? Well, isn't this devastating? For Christ in that moment, it was. But his feelings of desolation become our consolation. His cry is our comfort because it confirms his thorough experience of the human condition even at its worst. This means that when we struggle, Christ gets it. Pastor David Lowe's writes, to be human is precisely to feel at times the full gap and weight of our distance from God. This is the gap Christ experienced in order to identify with humanity. Because Christ truly hurt, He is truly with us when we hurt. Because Christ genuinely suffered, He is genuinely with us when we suffer. Because Christ felt abandoned and alone, He is with us when we feel abandoned and alone. Because He Himself was tested by what He suffered, says Hebrews 2, He is able to help those who are being tested. Christ is never closer to us than when we feel afflicted. He participates in our anguish. He feels our hurt. He inhabits our devastation. The poet Christian Wyman, who lives with incurable cancer, authored a book entitled My Bright Abyss. He wrote therein that he is a Christian, not because that's how he was raised, and not because Christ was raised from the dead, but because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking the very dregs of human bitterness, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The point, says Wyman, is that he felt human destitution to its absolute degree. The point is that God is with us, not beyond us, in suffering. Indeed, God is not secluded in some secure location above, detached from the mess of suffering on earth. God is not quarantined in some safe house in glory, removed from the blight of pain that blankets the globe. God is no cosmic stage manager who watches the production from backstage and gives a few directions here and there. God enters the story. God steps onto the stage. God is present in the unfolding drama. The incarnation of God is Jesus Christ in all of his divinity and all of his humanity all at once. It was God in the flesh who was born in the manger, taught in the synagogues, and fed the hungry. It was God in the flesh who blessed the children, preached on a mountainside, and calmed the storm. It was God in the flesh 
who healed the sick and reached for the outcast and wept over the city of Jerusalem. And it was God in the flesh who suffered on a brutal cross. The incarnation did not take an intermission at Calvary. It was God suffering on the cross in love for us. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann says that since God is love, God experiences the suffering that love for others entails. Many parents understand this because we love our kids so very much that when they hurt, we feel the pain ourselves. We literally hurt with them. Likewise, God is not unfeeling or self-protective, but God is willing to be moved, to be touched, to be affected by others. Moltmann writes, God does not suffer as we do out of deficiency of being, but God does suffer from love for creation. The God of the cross is united with all who undergo physical pain, emotional turmoil, social isolation, and spiritual agony. The God of the cross is never closer to us than when we hurt. This means that the distance of God we sense in the dark night of the soul is more perception than reality. The absence of God is more a feeling than a fact. The God who seems silent is nonetheless near. The prayers that seem pointless are nonetheless heard. The worship that seems dry is nonetheless received. The presence of God is open to us amid our feelings of forsakenness. This was illustrated the instant Jesus died when the temple curtain was torn in two. This curtain was not like the curtains that adorn the windows of our homes. This was a thick, 80-foot-high barrier that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the Jewish temple. Behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies was where God's presence on earth was concentrated. Only the high priest of the people could go behind that curtain into the Holy of Holies and he could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement in order to make sacrifices to atone for the people's sins. The concentrated presence of God on earth, therefore, was not very accessible due to the barrier that the curtain presented. But the moment that Christ died, the curtain was torn apart from top to bottom. The movement from top to bottom signals that this was an act of God, a gift 
of grace from heaven to earth. The language of torn apart indicates divine revelation. You see, when Jesus was baptized in Mark 1, the heavens were torn apart in order to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God. And in Mark 15, when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn apart in order to reveal that God is a God of the cross. If you want to see what's behind the temple curtain, look at the cross of Christ. If you want to see the concentrated presence of God on earth, Look at the crucified Messiah. You will see that God displays power in apparent weakness. You will see that God is working for the good even when injustice appears to have the upper hand. You will see that God makes atonement for sin so that humanity has open access to God's presence. You'll see that God understands the human condition fully and experientially. You'll see that God suffers with all who hurt and is present with us in the dark night of the soul. We desperately need God today for all who have struggled under the grief, fears, and pain of pandemic, for all who have suffered the physical toll of sickness and disease, for all who have endured the loss of loved ones and the forsaken feelings of bereavement, for all who have suffered from injustices in society, for all who have struggled with depression and anxiety, for all who have experienced nightfall in the soul, God rips open the curtain amid the darkness and hastens to our side. We see this solidarity of love in the crucified Christ who echoes the first words of Psalm 22, crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words would have served as a title for Psalm 22 in New Testament times because back then what we call Psalm 22 would have been referenced by its first line. When Jesus shouted these words, therefore, he was not only expressing his anguish, but also evoking the entire psalm. This is important to understand because the death of Christ fulfills Psalm 22. For example, Psalm 22.7 says, All who see me mock at me. They shake their heads. And Mark 15, 29 reports, those who passed by Jesus derided him, shaking their heads. Likewise, Psalm 22, 18 says, they divide my clothing among themselves, and for my clothing 
they cast lots. And Mark 15, 22 says, people were casting lots for Jesus' clothing. The way that the crucifixion fulfills the ancient scripture suggests that while God was hurting on the cross, God was not foiled. It's not as if things had gotten away from God and were spiraling into utter chaos. Rather, the divine purpose from of old was playing out despite evildoers at work. God was offering atonement for sin and solidarity with the suffering amid the very realities of injustice and pain and death. Beneath the heavy darkness that had fallen over the land at midday, at least one person saw the light and exercised the opportunity for faith. A centurion, an officer of the Roman military, a member of the execution squad, was standing at the foot of the cross. He had been trained, along with the rest of the empire, to hail Caesar as Son of God. He had been instructed, along with the rest of the empire, since the days of Caesar Augustus, to see the Roman emperor as the Son of God. He had been taught, along with the rest of the empire, to confuse divine power with military force. But when this soldier saw Jesus breathe his last, he declared in front of everybody, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion's experience of Christ's unjust suffering and death changed him. His courageous confession of faith could have landed him in hot water with his superiors, but he could not remain silent. His allegiance had shifted. His confidence had been redirected. His faith had been reassigned. His view of divine power had been reframed. His understanding of divinity had been reformed and his voice had to pronounce what his heart perceived. Truly the one on the cross is the Son of God. Truly the one acquainted with grief is the Son of God. Truly the one who knows the feeling of forsakenness is the Son of God. Truly the one who experienced the anguish of the human condition is the Son of God. Truly the one who suffers with us is the Son of God. Truly the one who opens access to God's presence is the Son of God. Truly the one who brings salvation from sin and solidarity of love in the dark night of the soul is the Son of God. Following the egregious invasion of Ukraine last week, a Ukrainian Baptist leader named Igor Bandura met virtually with other Baptist leaders from around the globe. During the call, Bandura said to them, We are here. It is very frightening. What I was feeling today was like a big black 
whole that tried to absorb your soul and destroy you completely. He added, it takes time to bring your mind and heart back to the work of God. He further shared the story of an orphanage in the area of Odessa in Ukraine. This orphanage is run by a Baptist church, as I understand it. And when the residents there became frightened by the approaching violence, they put up signs in all the windows that said, Be careful. There are orphans living here. I'll tell you who else resides behind the windows of that orphanage. I will tell you who dwells in loving solidarity with every precious child there. I will tell you who understands their pain. I will tell you who feels their anguish. I will tell you who's never been closer to them than right now. And that is the God revealed in Jesus Christ. The friend of the suffering, the savior of the world, who is with us in every dark night to hold us as we wait for daybreak. Amen.